So this all started back in February, and, and obviously everyone remembers when Brian Flores came out and made public his lawsuit against the league. And in the aftermath, Hugh Jackson had tweeted some cryptic things. Hugh had implied that something similar happened with the Browns. But when he made that claim, that's when the NFL first opened their investigation. On this special bonus episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly, former Browns head coach Hugh Jackson claimed the organization misled him during the hiring process and set out to intentionally lose games. On Monday, the NFL said its internal investigation of those allegations found, quote, no evidence to substantiate the accusations. But while the NFL publicly stated that an NFL team did nothing wrong according to the investigation, that doesn't necessarily mean the Browns didn't do what Jackson said they did. SI staffers Gary Grambling and Connor Orr from the Monday Morning Quarterback reviewed more than 1,000 pages of documents pertaining to the allegations made by Jackson. They joined me to discuss the information they uncovered, how the Browns allegedly tanked, and what it all means. It's Tuesday, May 3rd. I'm your host, John Gonzalez. From Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio, this is Sports Illustrated Weekly. Hi, I'm Will Selva inside the NFL Network newsroom with breaking news out of Cleveland. The Browns have fired head coach Hugh Jackson. This according to NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. He was put in a pretty difficult position his first two years uh, with the talent we had, and we felt like he deserved a chance at a third year, and unfortunately it didn't work out the way we all hoped it would. Former Browns coach Hugh Jackson has added his voice to this conversation. What did he have to say? Basically, they said that something similar happened with the Browns, that, that Hugh was paid to lose games in 2016 and in 2017. Those seasons resulted in back-to-back number one overall picks. Jimmy Haslam, Browns owner, responding to Hugh Jackson's allegations he was paid to lose games. Haslam told the Knoxville News Sentinel, Hugh Jackson has never ever accepted any responsibility for our record during that time period. He's been masterful at pointing fingers, but has never accepted any blame. Gary Gramling and Connor Orr, welcome to Sports Illustrated Weekly. Good to be here. You guys, uh, a lot is going on with the Browns. You guys are in the mix of this. You reviewed more than a thousand pages of documents related to Hugh Jackson accusing the Browns of tanking. There's just so much going on here. I want to go back to the beginning. When did we first hear that the Browns were suspected of intentionally losing games? So this all started back in February. And, and obviously everyone remembers when Brian Flores came out and made public his lawsuit against the league. And in the aftermath, Hugh Jackson had tweeted some cryptic things. Maybe one would say piggybacking off of Brian Flores' claim that Stephen Ross allegedly had offered him $100,000 per loss with the Dolphins, and Hugh had implied that something similar happened with the Browns. He clarified a little bit as that week went on, but when he made that claim, that's when the NFL first opened their investigation. It's also when we first opened our investigation into this and and started to gather some information and figure out exactly what was going on and and what exactly Hugh was talking about. And then we can get into it later because of a release agreement he signed. He is not really free to talk about this publicly. Connor, how much can you tell us about these documents that you guys gathered in that process? When you go through the process of fighting against the NFL via this secretive arbitration process, these are the documents that you tried to present, right? And tried to back up your case. 
the stuff that you would want people to know in terms of what is your reasoning for believing that you were misled, misrepresented by the terms of your deal? And what kind of evidence do you have that, uh, hey, this wasn't all on the up and up? Yeah. So you've reviewed all these documents. You've spoken to a bunch of people, including Hugh Jackson's lawyer, Joe Stafford. What evidence is there? What exactly is being alleged? Yeah, and we should make clear the Browns are denying that they intentionally lost or incentivized their coach to intentionally lose. And there's nothing along the lines of he got paid X amount of dollars for losing games. I had one player who was on those teams, as we discussed this, sort of be like, boy, you really have to read between the lines here. And that's kind of what it is. And that's why it's also going to be interesting to see how the NFL handles this, because there's nothing that says go one in 15 and we'll pay you X amount of dollars. What it does say is if we have a certain amount of draft capital, you, the head coach, gets a bonus for that. That's that's out of your control as a head coach, unless you lose a lot of games. The number is for the 2016 draft, 10 draft picks. In 2017, they want 11 draft picks. You get draft picks by having high picks. You have high picks by losing a lot of games, and then you flip those high picks into into more picks. There's also, there's a bonus for Hugh Jackson that salary cap carryover. And the way the salary cap works, if you don't spend a certain amount of money, or I should say, if you are a certain amount under the cap for one season, you can carry that over to the next season. Hugh Jackson gets a bonus for that. Now, that's sort of a personnel bonus that you would typically give not to the head coach, because that is basically going to mean your team will not be maximizing the kind of roster it can build at that point. I should clarify, probably the most unusual thing out of all of this, outside of the fact that perhaps Hugh Jackson was being indirectly incentivized to lose games, is this actually doesn't appear in his contract. Every coach and player contract has to go to the NFL for them to approve. There was a reference to this incentive package in the contract, but the actual details of the incentive package only appear in this booklet called the four-year plan, which is an internal document that the Browns put out. It's very unusual that this never sort of made its way to the NFL for some sort of approval. Yeah, as you mentioned, Gary, it sounds like there's a lot of reading between the lines that they have to do here because clearly the Browns weren't so explicit about this that they outlined it all that everybody would know immediately what was happening. There's a lot of euphemistic and gray language being used. But Connor, you guys wrote that the Browns have a trump card here, right? Because they're not only denying all of these allegations, but they say that they've got proof that they didn't do this. Right. So this is an interesting feature of most coaching contracts. And that is basically if you get fired before the end of your contract and you would like to collect the remainder of your money, you sign a release. So basically, if you have any complaints, you have to go to the NFL's court and you have to play by the NFL's rules. And it's not like the NFL is a place that's like, oh, yes, here, hand us all this damaging information about the league and our teams. And we would like to put this through the standard legal system where it can get out and have everybody be able to read it. No, everything kind of gets shut down and cut off. And that's kind of really at the heart of this story is I think that there's a lot of coaches who view this as an unnecessary and kind of overarching measure. There are really big companies out there who are ending these release agreements in contracts. So I want to bore down a little bit on 
how they might have actually tanked if hypothetically they did that. How could they do it? Because we have Hugh Jackson here saying that the Browns misled him. They intentionally lost games. But I'm wondering how they could pull that off without Hugh Jackson being at least implicit or even explicitly signing off on it. So the reason we kind of know what Hugh Jackson's sentiment in all this is, is one of the documents we have, it's a motion to vacate the NFL's arbitration. Now, he didn't go forward with this in Cuyahoga County in Ohio. I did ask his lawyer about that. His lawyer said, essentially, he didn't like his chances of winning his case in Ohio based on the fact that he did sign a release agreement. But the way this played out, according to this filing, and again, I I do want to reiterate, this is... Hugh Jackson's lawyer prepared this. We all know lawyers are advocates for their clients. I don't want to present this as the absolute truth on this matter, but Hugh Jackson says that when he went through the interview process with the Browns, they essentially told him, we got a bunch of cap space. We have some draft capital. We're going to start building this thing up. We're going to, we're going to win some games. We're going to give you what you need. The incentive package in the four-year plan, which is at the heart of Jackson's accusations here, it was not in his contract. He did not see it at all. They they didn't even tell him that this four-year plan was being assembled until February 13th, according to this motion. And on top of that, it was not finalized until May 23rd. In the meantime, the Yaddle offseason go through. The Browns were not active in the free agent market, as a lot of Browns fans know about the 2016 offseason. They let Mitchell Schwartz go. They decided they did not want to meet his asking price. They'd rather have the compensatory pick. But you can fast forward to 2017 and the fact that they let Joe Hayden go. They let Demario Davis go. Jackson had advocated for Colin Kaepernick in the offseason of 2016. They did not make that move. And to be clear, that was before Colin Kaepernick had begun his sort of public social justice campaign. So Jackson is kind of arguing, they told me one thing. I got in there and they just completely pulled the rug out from under me and I had no players to work with. And obviously that's that's prevalent in the win-loss record. There were also people in that building who realized we just we have a team that can't win. We don't have an NFL caliber roster right now. Gary mentioned the bonus system in the four-year plan. Just so everybody understands what that is, Connor, lay that out for us. I believe basically what this says here is that, for example, on the table, for the coach to earn his bonus, for Hugh Jackson to earn his bonus in, in 2016, the Browns had to make at least 11 picks in the NFL's draft with five of those picks being in the first three rounds. You do that, you get your bonus. If the organization carried over at least 15% of their salary cap, you get your bonus. And so you could look at it from two ways, right? That is either an agreement to say, hey, okay, everybody's benefiting from this, so no one can say they didn't do it. Or at the timing, you have to understand that the NFL was really shifting towards more of a collaborative focus. Like all the GMs and coaches were coming in together and hired together and signed through contracts together. So you could look at it that way, or you could look at it as maybe this is just a really weird and off-ball way for a franchise to say, hey, we're all on the same team here, and so we all have the same goals. Sorry, so there are all these allegations that the Browns were incentivizing losing, and among the many documents you guys reviewed were emails between Roger Goodell and Hugh Jackson, right? Yeah, so Hugh has been banging the drum on this for quite a while. According to his motion, he had first brought this up with the league in 2016. This approach that the Browns were taking, which he, you know, did not feel was in line with the competitive integrity of the NFL. He went through the arbitration process and afterwards he had a series of 
emails and letters that he sent to Roger Goodell that, as we say, they're kind of rife with all caps and bold fonts. And he is very upset. And even after he had lost his arbitration, which would have awarded him some sort of monetary reward, he wanted an investigation into the Browns for for allegedly tanking during these two seasons. And I think part of it for him became kind of a quest to let's say, restore his reputation as a football coach after two and a half nightmare seasons in which he leaves with a 336-1 record. And he apparently feels that the organization is just as much as at fault for that as he is. So you mentioned the organization being at fault there. Sashi Brown was in charge of the Browns back then. He's now the team president for the Ravens. Connor, what does he have to say, if anything, about all this? Yeah, we got uh, a no comment out of Baltimore. And yeah, I mean, I think Sashi is kind of an interesting figure there. From my understanding of how this all worked, he was basically supposed to be the arbiter between football and analytics, right? He was supposed to be the bridge that brought these two together in this experiment that Jimmy Haslam was running and ultimately was really the first person to pay for this. He got fired and then I believe had a 20-month hiatus out of sports until he came back with the Washington Wizards and is now obviously the team president of the Ravens, but sort of a unique figure in this because even back to 2016, if you remember, there was, I wouldn't say suspicion, but just Everybody around the league's antenna was raised up and and some good curiosity in a way, too. I think people wanted to know what he was doing and Paul DePodesta, what they were doing with the Browns. They didn't have extensive background work in football and how this was going to work. I think he's sort of one of that those interesting figureheads there, but one that had no interest in, I don't think, at least via a Raven spokesperson uh, weigh, weighing in on this story. I want to play devil's advocate here really quickly. Some people would say, why would the Browns need to intentionally tank when they've been unintentionally awful for decades? I mean, weren't they, haven't they already just been functionally tanking? You could certainly make that argument. The specific argument that Jackson would make was, was obviously he's brought in there and they're saying, well, we have cap space, we have draft capital, we're ready to start building a winner here. One thing I do want to mention, and, and it is, look, it, it's difficult to get people to sort of be scandalized by tanking, right? Everyone loves when their team is, if not winning the Super Bowl, I think the next best thing for a lot of fans is, well, let's have like a really high draft pick and let's get a new quarterback or whatever it might be. For the players on that team, and I spoke to one player who said he has been in touch with a lot of former teammates who feel this kind of ruined their careers being on this team, not only from a reputational standpoint, but when you are out there surrounded by kind of non-NFL talent, you look bad on tape. This derails your career to an extent. And there is a group of players that they haven't gone too far forward yet, but they're at least discussing legal action. I think what was so upsetting for a lot of guys who were there at the time, and uh, one of the guys who spoke on the record for this story is is a coach named Ken Delgado. Uh, he is actually currently with Hugh Jackson down in Grambling University, but he had been a longtime assistant coach in college football. This was kind of his chance to break through in 2016 with his Brown staff. That was his first NFL job. As he says, you know, this is everyone's dream job, getting to the highest level of football here. He did a you know, on paper, a decent job with their defensive line. He was an assistant defensive line coach on Jackson's staff in Cleveland. He was out after the 2018 season, and he just said straight up, like, look, I'm realistic about this. I'm not going to get back into the league. That was my chance. I'm now branded as part of this 
one in 31 uh, run that the Browns had, no one's really going to pick up the phone and, and want to bring me back in. For the guys who are there, they've sort of been branded with this really problematic two-year run, and uh, it ended a lot of careers. And I think just to add to that, I mean, when when we saw what the Miami Dolphins were initially doing under Brian Flores when they first got there, our former colleague Jenny Ventus went down to Miami and did a really excellent story on kind of the ethics of this kind of rebuild. And I do think that there are very real, as Gary mentioned, safety concerns. And it's kind of interesting when you talk to players across the spectrum where, you know, certainly there are some players who have been in the NFL and have developed that sort of calloused cynicism, I think, about what goes on in the league. And it's like, yeah, this is just what happens. This is life. But I think there are some other people that are like, hey, you know, if I'm playing next to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, that's going to get me hurt. You know, I think that's a similar refrain that you hear from, you know, whether it's firefighters or police officers or whatever. And it's like, you know, the test has to be hard because anyone who passes it is saving my behind. And so I think that there's an element of that, certainly with the NFL, where it's like, yeah, this thing, you know, you have to be competitive because if everyone isn't good, then I get hurt. So there are repercussions in this that go beyond just Hugh Jackson or Jimmy Haslam or Paul D. Podesta or Sashi Brown. Not to mention, uh, you, competitive integrity is such sort of a, a, a vague thing, but one of the big appeals of the NFL is the fact that any given Sunday, and that's not just any game, but any season. Uh, the last three years, we have had a Super Bowl participant who had a losing record the previous season. Giving those fans hope year to year is one of the things that really is appealing about the NFL. We're not even getting uh, into the the gambling aspect of this. And, and, you know, if you believe that a team's head coach has been incentivized to lose games, especially toward the end of the season, that has a lot of repercussions as, as far as the gambling community goes. And obviously, as we all know, we have a lot of legalized gambling in this country now, and nobody draws more bets than the NFL does. The competitive integrity component is interesting to me because now we have the Browns and have we have allegations against them and tanking, and also the Dolphins have been accused of tanking. Connor, are we to believe that they're the only two teams who might have done this or do we suspect that other organizations might be exposed as well? I don't think that this is necessarily wholly unique. I think what's unique about the Brown circumstance was that they decided to put it on paper. And I think that it also went too far. I think that anybody that's associated with that organization during that time would say it went too far. And I think that other teams have probably done softer versions of this, you know, mini resets or whatever the kinder, gentler version of this that you want to say is, but nowhere near to, I think, the scale and the aggressiveness with which the Browns did, did theirs. All right. So despite all these documents and all these allegations on Monday, the NFL said that the league's independent investigation found, quote, no evidence to substantiate the accusations of tanking. This feels like a nothing to see here. The NFL is moving on situation. The Browns also issued a statement saying that they were pleased with the findings or the lack of findings, which that's hardly surprising. I'm wondering what the two of you make on where the NFL ultimately landed on this. I wouldn't say I was surprised. Um, certainly, there are elements of uh, what seem to be 
a legitimate building process by the Browns uh, throughout Hugh Jackson's time there, right? In 2017, they signed Kevin Zeitler, who is one of the uh, uh, who is one of the most prominent free agents on the market. Um, and there did at times certainly seem to be some efforts to win games. And they also, you know, we got our hands on a letter from the commissioner to Jimmy Haslam that said, hey, one of the things we saw in here was that in this performance table that we had talked about before, Hugh Jackson did make edits to it. And so that would seem to to make him on board with what was going on here. So again, I I think this entire process is depending on how you look at it, you know? Do you think that incentivizing someone to have more draft picks in the first few rounds of the draft is legitimate? Or do you feel like that's just a way around incentivizing a tank, right? And so it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I think the NFL landed where they were comfortable landing. I don't think that they want to open Pandora's box, especially with the Dolphins investigation going on, especially with everything happening regarding their gambling relationships and how everything's kind of not on an even footing. I mean, it's all systems go, but you never want to portray this air of, well, hey, there might not be uh, things completely above board going on here. So what I would make of it is I think the NFL if you had to ask me before the uh, investigation started where they would land, I, I was guessing probably somewhere around here. Yeah, so despite the NFL trying to sweep all this under the carpet, you guys did some really excellent reporting on the subject. I highly recommend everybody go read their story about this on SI.com, which we will link to in our show notes and listen to them on the MMQB podcast. Gary Gramling, Connor Orr, thanks for this. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, John. Sports Illustrated Weekly is a production of Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. And for more of Sports Illustrated's best stories and podcasts, visit SI.com. This special bonus episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly was produced by Cooper McKim. Isaac Lee is our sound engineer. Our senior producer is Dan Blue. Our executive producers are Scott Brody and me, John Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Our regularly scheduled episode will appear in your feed tomorrow, Wednesday, May 4th.